Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Today's show brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15, and Hummel's Wharf. Looking to see if there's any text message from the suit apologizing for missing the segment. Although I thought the Chief was brilliant, didn't you? Crushed it. Well, there's no doubt which one of the two's actually prepared for the game. Well, our, our guy's got time. He's still got about uh, 20, eh, 26 hours to go. Yeah, but he asked in the meeting who they were playing. That's not a good start. No. <laughs> <laughs> who are we playing? <laughs> Every time, I told you that story, right? Text Dave. Bowl? Text Dave. Maybe he'll reply. <laughs> in the Rose Bowl 2008, I walk into the booth. It was the 2008 Rose Bowl. So I walk in the booth. And I, uh, Jack was already there, and I, uh, Jack was looking at the field. I go, wow, this is really cool. I said, who are we playing? <laughs> <laughs> if you can't have fun, don't bother showing up. If you can't have fun, don't bother showing up at these jobs. That's a, so, But their award-winning broadcast will be on at 6.30 tomorrow. But Sealens goes on at 6, right, on Eagle 107? Yep. We'll still do the hour? Oh, yeah, you betcha. We'll start game day at 6, preview the tem- uh, the tomato bowl in yeah. the process, and you know cover every angle of uh, Brave Seals. And then, of course, we'll put a bow on everything with game night tomorrow night. Game night's awesome, by the way. Thank you. You want to know what's happening in high school football in our area, maybe even a little bit beyond our area? Game night is the choice. Now, does he join you in the post game for that? Or no. Is he beca- or- no. 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 So, do you talk to the chief? Uh, no. Okay. So, well, how do you handle that in post game? Most nights I fly solo, so we just uh, you know, get. No, but I'm saying, I'm saying, but they do they phone in a report or you just do highlights? Uh, do highlights, and also uh, as the games progress, I'll get uh, like I'll get scoring drives. I'll get information texted to me as the night goes on. On the, uh, and then on that'll the touch- match. And then that'll match up with the highlights when we when we get them in. On the touchdown shikalumi thing, which really takes a long time. <laughs> <laughs> Define long time. All right. Does that cut back in the number of highlights you can hear because you only have X amount of time? <laughs> like, my God, I'm going to be here at eleven thirty. <laughs> I mean, imagine if they were Southern Columbia and they put up seventy six. <laughs> Show would end at 6 a.m. <laughs> Put the cot here in the back of the studio. We'll be fine. <laughs> Brewers last night rallied our play-by-play call today. Mike Moustakis. Mike Moustakis, the 2-1. Swing and a high drive. Deep right. How about two on your birthday, Moose? A two-run shot for Mike Moustakis. And the Brewers have a 7-5 lead. On the 33rd home run of the season by Moustakis. That's what they should start at Shikolami. You know, like Mike Moustakis. You hear the entire crowd chanting Moose. Right? 
How about at Shikolami tomorrow night? Biff for the Biffer. I thought you were going to go. I thought you were going to go with suit, but uh, yeah. No, no, no. Bring, bring back oh, yeah, the Biffer. All right, no suit. He walks in there. He can wave to the crowd. Dave can shake his head. <laughs> I could have sworn that was a reaction that Kevin and when Kevin and uh, Coach Horty did the Pepsi Stadium show. We used to do those about. Oh man, that's pushing. That's well over fifteen years ago for sure. Hmm. It's a good sponsor, though. Yeah, that was a great sponsor. Yeah. All right. Cam Miller, Pro Football Focus. We talked about it. this is going to be a weekly Thursday hit with him. We're going to talk a lot of Penn State Pitt in this hour. Frank Bodani in the final half hour from the York Daily Record. But first, Cam Miller, Pro Football Focus. Cam, welcome back. It's great to have you with us. Cam, let's get to the Sean Clifford numbers. When you break it down, look at the numbers on Pro Football Focus and, and everything that's going on, what's he done the first two games that stand out to you? So there's there's a couple of different things. I do like what he's done overall. There's uh, middle of the field. He's worked very well, especially against Buffalo. Yeah. Multiple completions, some solid, just some solid decision making. Uh, one thing that I think I would like to see a little bit better, and I think especially as you move even past Pitt and we get towards Big Ten play, is is clean pocket play. He's only graded out just just kind of above average, so like a sixty eight point nine is where we have. So right. that's that's just outside of the top forty five of all quarterbacks. So that's one of the things that's pretty stable from not only year to year but week to week, and so things like that. So if he can actually dissect this offense and actually find receivers downfield when kept clean. That'll be huge because those will be the plays that he can make when the offensive line does actually hold up their end of the bargain against some of those feared pass rushers in the Big Ten. All right, so uh, let's get to the uh, tight end Pat Fryermuth. Now, obviously, he can't be on your draft board yet, um, but he's coming off an eight-catch, 99-yard performance. What does it look like with him? He's the highest-graded player right now, basically outside of Hamler in the almost, I I think it's all-skill players, actually. So a lot of those those receptions, you know, I people oftentimes get dragged down in, in seeing, well, did he score? Did he hit 100 yards? Did he hit that plateau of 100 yards? Or did he actually have a touchdown? I look at it completely different. We have receiving conversions. And so he moved the chains or scored a touchdown on four of those catches. Got to be a go-to target over the middle. Hamler can't always beat everybody deep. Yeah. I love what he's been able to do. And, I mean, the grades speak for themselves. So he's up there in terms of one of the higher-graded tight ends across the entire country, too. So now give me the, you know, you mentioned Hamler, but give me Jahan Dotson on the opposite side. You need some compliments here along the way. Is he grading out as a compliment? So far, not as much. I think, you know, I think we're buoyed by a couple of small sample sizes, obviously, when you don't have as many. So the great, you know, you're going to be hurt by one negative or one positive. You're going to be kind of jolted to the top or shook to the bottom. And so right, right now it is Hamler, and it's just for better that are at the top. We do have a couple other grades. I, you know, it's it's tough to pull it out right now. Dotson is right at a 67, I, I think, or just yeah. at a 68, actually, one sure. of those two. I do like it. I do like what he's been able to do. And all these guys are having, you know, they have like this ridiculous catch rate. And so it's it's essentially completion percentage when targeting specific receivers. And if you're anywhere near the 100% mark, that's awesome. Obviously, it's not likely to continue through the season, but things like that. And so that's where Dotson actually 88.3, you know, but only still six targets. So he's caught all five of those six as well. 
But then you look at it, four conversions. So the two touchdowns and then two more first downs. So he's also moving the chains. Yes. And it's, which is super important. And, and you know, I, I don't like the 100 yard plateau. I never have and I never will unless right. you're talking fantasy points. Right. Well, the 100, yeah, the, the, on the broadcast, you mentioned the 100. I'll, I always mention the 100 yard rushing or receiving. The reason is it's a, it's, it's a landmark. You know, people can, yep. re, pe- fans can relate to it uh, when, when they do Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Uh, all right, so let's. I want to get to corner play. Penn State has a senior corner in John Reed, who has two picks now, and one for a touchdown. And Tariq Castro Fields, who was a junior. On your on in your numbers, when you look at attacks, plays, how do they both grade out? So Reed currently, and again, it's you know the unfortunately it's the small sample size. Again, two games, but no, he's grading out as the highest graded player on defense. Nine tar- targeted passes thrown his way, and he's allowed a, you know simply four catches and only 24 yards. He's got another play on the ball in addition to the two picks. The pick six was awesome. Castro Fields is down there a little bit. It's like he needs to make one or two plays to get up there because his his stat line, his bare numbers are great, but it's like you know sometimes some of those targets are not necessary. So he's been targeted the most on defense, but he's also only allowed four catches and 20 yards. So again, doesn't have those interceptions or that quite that big play yet that we've seen from him before, right. which is why I think we had him high on our draft board. So I, I do think Reed is helping himself uh, a lot if that is the end goal is to go to the NFL with with this two game sample size so far. So in the two game sample size, obviously Reed has the two interceptions, uh, but in the two game sample size, the two corners have allowed a total of forty four yards. Pretty uh, pretty awesome, uh, if you do ask me. Yeah. Uh, that that's interesting. All right, let me flip it over to the Penn State's opponent this week for Pitt. When you look at Pitt's offense, Cam, who's grading out high in their small two-game sample size? Who's grading out well for them offensively? Honestly, as of right now, it's been Kenny Pickett that's kind of exceeded expectations. Yeah. So he's not up there in terms of overall grade on the team so far. But I mean, his the game against uh, Ohio such a weird weird game and uh, that 11 o'clock kickoff I, I still don't understand why i guess i didn't really dig enough to get to the bottom of why that was one was at 11 i, I think that he needs to have an asterisk as well because ohio quarterback nathan rourke didn't even ride the team bus with the bobcats because he was so sick yeah they didn't want him to infect this yeah it's struck throat just, yeah so poor guy rourke played through it all i'm a huge fan of nathan rourke himself but i mean you gotta i look at that i look at what you know, Pickett's been able to do. I didn't have him very high, but it's been right now a couple of performances on the offensive line. Jimmy Morrissey at center. We've had him, you know, high grades basically. It feels like for all time. Like him a lot. Long enough. Like him a lot. Yeah. So it's him. They got a couple of dudes. Maurice French as well. I'm I've been a big fan of ever since I realized that it wasn't a typo to have his last name F F R E N C H. So. <laughs> I do like him, uh, but I think it's got, it's got to start with Pickett and whether or not he can actually keep that up, uh, this exceeding expectations against, obviously, a little bit better defenses. And how about the defense? Is it Twyman and a couple secondary guys? Who would grade it to lead? Again, in the in an eight-quarter sample size here. Yeah, it's Dane Jackson, the corner. Yeah. He's got a touchdown allowed in his coverage, but he was awesome against Rourke. He was awesome against Ohio. They did lose probably their best defensive player, though, in Keyshawn Camp. Uh, in the interior there. Guy had six pressures in the first game, then they lose him for the season. So that hurts them, but it, right now it's 
at this point, it's Kylan Johnson at linebacker and Dane Jackson in the secondary that, you know, really take the cake for uh, best defensive players so far. I do like Mathis at the other corner spot as well, yeah. but we'll like to see a little bit more from him, kind of like Castro Fields. We've, we've got him good grades so far, but, we you know, we need a little bit more, a few more big plays to get up there. Uh, in fact, uh, Jed, fans here may not be familiar with Johnson. He's a grad transfer from Florida, and he's starting at linebacker. He's number 28. All right, uh, nationally. Uh, everyone talks about Lawrence, and justifiably so. How does ATN at running back rate out for you? It's so difficult to to talk running back grades. I know. Um, just in general, a, a lot of what they do and a lot of what they get done is got to be a product of their run blocking. Yes. Now, a lot of players can do it independently on their own, but a lot of it for ETN especially is done well before contact. Guys not being contacted – uh, it feels like until about 10 yards down the field. Yeah. And so that hurts his overall grade. You know, you, I, I, I like to do a little ding or a little asterisk right next to running back grade sometimes. Just you got to read between the lines because of his 258 yards, 141 of them are after contact, which sounds like a big gaudy number. But most of these other guys are doing it much more frequently after contact. So his, yeah. his yards after contact per carry are it's seemingly high. Again, he's only got 28 carries, though. So anytime you're putting up 250 plus on 20 plus carries, like that's it's awesome numbers for him. But he's been benefit of I think the the guys up there in terms of 200 plus and 300 yeah. yard guys. He's got the best run blocking. And in fact, you know that's something. For example, you look at Jonathan Taylor's numbers. Taylor is a guy that's you know I don't mean this year. I'm talking about in years gone by. He's always been terrific at yards after contact. Zeke Elliott was great yards after contact. I mean that's what you're talking about, right? Correct. Yeah, and Taylor, I think, is that not only over a thousand yards plus in each of his seasons, he's got a thousand yards plus yards after contact That's in each right. of his seasons so far, which is almost unheard of. Guy forces at least sixty missed tackles every season, and he's well onto that as well. I, I will say, it looks like they read our uh, preseason draft guide in which we stated that Jonathan Taylor, if he wants to be a uh, legitimate draft threat, they got to throw him the ball a little bit. Yep. Because all of a sudden, two games in, he's already got more receiving yards than they did all of last season and all three of his touchdowns on the on the on passes. So I like to see what they're doing with him and kind of make him this you know escape valve for Jack Cohn as he gets adjusted to the offense. Hey, you and I both know you got to get the ball into the hands of your best players. Well, he's their best player, so I think you have to figure out and how to by get far. Yes, by far. Joe Burrow. Okay? Joe Burrow. He was at Ohio State, could not win the job at Ohio State. Uh, so he transfers to LSU. What are you seeing now? Again, small sample size, but two games. What are you seeing from Joe Burrow? Small sample size. It feels like a broken record, but it's got to be stated we're two weeks in. So what he did against Texas, so deserve it's deserving of the Heisman already. So Heisman's aren't one in September. Everybody knows that. He does have tape now that you can go to it. And if he does win the Heisman eventually, the Texas game will be that moment in which crossed him out as a, yeah. this is it, this is the guy. So he is the highest-graded quarterback on passes targeted 10 or more yards down the field, 24 of 31 536 yards, seven touchdowns. The touchdowns lead the country. The yards are second most behind Cole McDonald because that's just not fair in the run-and-shoot offense in Hawaii. But he's the highest graded. He's got the highest adjusted completion percentage on those passes as well. So that's what we like. We love this downfield passing ability from Burrow. And if that continues, then they do pose a true threat against Alabama. And what does it tell everybody about the fact that it was third to go ahead and wing it? 
pretty awesome. I mean, when you do have guys, the receivers, they had, what, averaging 6'3", 225 again, like I've said before. Right. Yeah. Just throw it up to him, but he's making those plays only where those guys can get them to. They have quite the chemistry so far, and I, I love to see it continue. There is no way over the years at LSU that third and seventeen they had to throw the ball. <laughs> you, you no, they're running it with a with a geist or a four net. It feels like over the last yeah, five I years know. too. Exactly, Cam. It's always a pleasure. Really enjoyed a lot. Great stuff. We appreciate. It. As always, appreciate it. Cheers and enjoy some uh, Friday night ACC ball tomorrow. Some exciting stuff. Yeah, exactly. Get a little bit of that so you can get uh, prepped and into the stadium early on Saturday. Love it. Cheers. Cam Miller, Pro Football Focus. Frank Bodani, York Daily Record, final half hour. More to, more in a moment on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Hey, come closer. Word has it Sunbury Motors is preparing for their biggest truck sale ever. Pick from Central PA's largest selection of new Ford trucks with savings up to $16,350 during Sunbury Motors' massive September truck and SUV sale. Over 45 2019 Ford Escapes starting at just $18,180. Four-wheel drive 2019 Ford EcoSports are slashed to as low as $17,320. SMC has up to eight grand off 2019 Ford Edges and up to a whopping $13,000 off Ford Expeditions. All clearly marked with these huge discounts. Maybe you'd better pull over and write this down. The hot, all-new 2019 Ford Ranger has discounts up to $6,500, and Sunbury Motors has 2019 Ford F-150 crew cabs slashed to just $32,909. That's a lot of slashing. SMC is where you want to be right now for the largest truck and SUV sale in Sunbury Motors' 104-year history. Hurry while supplies last, but don't tell anyone. All right, it's great to have you with us on the show today. Frank Bodani, next half hour, when uh, we get into more Penn State pit talk. Frank from the York Daily Record. Paul Alexander joins us on the show tomorrow. We're looking forward to that and also uh, picks tomorrow. Sean, last year's champion, not off to the start he envisioned. And waiting in the weeds for the December show when we have the bull picks as the five-time defending champion, the suit. I don't know how he's done it. Five years in a row. Rapid fire, 40 ah. games, bang, bang, bang. Yeah. Uh, well, I think I know because, uh, like, I know I do nothing. I go, when I like, okay, all right, that sounds good. I kind of pick them by colors. Uh, so <laughs> the um, the although I will say this, I think it's taking the suit a little bit to get on track here because the Pocono thing has him way off his game. Oh yeah, no more IndyCar at Pocono. That was a yeah, that was that a crusher. Was a that was a crusher for our guy. Yes, that, that was a blow. Yeah. Uh, Sealand Grove, Sealands Grove, and uh, Shikalemi tomorrow, and Lewisburg against Milton. So you have two rivalries: the Tomato Bowl, and Sealands Grove and Shikalemi don't quote play for anything, right? It's like no trophy or anything like that. Uh, they had a rally in the Valley Trophy. I don't know if that's uh, going to be on the line tomorrow night or not. That was created less than ten years ago. Okay. That's a great question. Hmm. 
Well, just so you know, Ohio State and Michigan don't play for a trophy. Great to have you with us today. Penn State and Pitt Saturday, 10.30 the airtime, noon the kickoff in Beaver Stadium. Frank Bodani, York Daily Record, will join us in the next half hour. Tomorrow, Paul Alexander from Pittsburgh on the game. And a little bit on Troy Polamalu, your guy, by the way, Polamalu, nominated for the Hall of Fame officially today. Will he be a first ballot next year? Absolutely. Absolutely a first ballot Hall of Famer. Anytime a quarterback walks up to the line of scrimmage and the first thing he says is, where's 43, and they have to do that for 10 years, your first ballot. Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors studio, here's Steve Jones. All right, Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's War, best in the business. Best products, best sales staff, best service department. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. You go with the SMC name, you're backed up. You are absolutely backed up by the best. We're going to get to Frank Bodani in a moment. Did you see the article about Centralia, which is so close to our area? It was a Business Insider did this article. And it's 57 years now. It is still burning. I mean, nobody lives there. I think I think there's one one couple left that just didn't go. Um, and the in fact that I think the one person le- I think the one couple left I think they passed away since unbelievable that's such an I remember Ray Caravan and I were talking about this back of Memorial Day he had a party at his house and Ray and I were talking about this and Ray, you know, racist, you know, I said, I decided to try to go there. He says, it's unbelievable. If, I mean, the fire is still burning 57 years later. Uh, I guess they, I guess they say there's fewer than 10 residents now there. Wow. And Centralia, you know, you go back to 1983, I mean, it was... It adds it adds some jump to it. Oh well, just thought I'd bring that up because it's so close to our area. It's just you know sometimes out of sight, out of mind. All right, and we're going to get to Frank Botini. We have to take a call first, Sean, or we have Frank next. Oh, we have someone on the line who was uh, just heard you talking about uh, Centralia a couple seconds ago. Uh, yeah, how you doing? Good. How are you? We We're great. Oh, I was just pointing out that the the church up on the hill in Centralia it's still active as well. That's right. It's still active. Okay. Yeah. Uh, pretty neat. Uh, pretty cool little church. 
Yeah, I'm sure it is. And then what, uh, what Route 61 goes through there, right? Yes, I believe so. Yeah. Wow. And then what, uh, so just a little FYI. Yeah, I think yeah, when you're traveling, when you're traveling north on 61, and you literally look uh, way up in the distance, and the church is like right in front of you. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Channel 16, Newswatch 16, did a feature on the uh, on that church uh, about a year or so ago. How it's just still it's still uh, you know in use, and still people you know go for there for mass every single week. Well, I guess I guess the exact number now is six. That still live there. Six. Wow. Appreciate the call and the information very much. All right. Let's bring in Frank Bodani now, York Daily Record. Like the bottom line is, is that Frank Bodani is the kind of individual where if you don't like Frank Bodani, in my opinion, you just don't like people. Frank, welcome. Great to have you with us. I don't even know what to say after that introduction, but thank you, Steve. Well, it was earned, believe me. Thank you. Frank, it's obviously, as you know, part of what I do, I do travel around the state and talk to various groups. So I'll give you my impression after I hear your answer to this. What is the feeling in your area, the York area, about this being, for at least a while, the last Penn State pit game? And how do they feel about playing it in the future versus playing somebody else like Virginia Tech or Auburn? I get the the gist that Penn State fans are used to this by now. I think it was more of a big change, something to get used to when they first stopped the series. Um, but I think anymore, Penn State is Penn State fans are locked in to who the Big Ten is, what they need to do to get to the title game. You know, and I think they know that hey, there's only. Now there's only three non-conference games you even have to pick from every year. Right. And it's been a lot of years without Pitt-Penn State. I think it's something that is great for tradition, great to talk about. I don't think a lot of fans, at least if you're below 50 or 60, miss it. And the impression I get is this, because I want to hear what your answer was first, is any time I speak anywhere... Altoona West. Now, so I've spoken in Altoona, Pittsburgh, Newcastle, Erie, you know, you know, Johnsonburg, St. Mary's, that's all those places, Dubois. They you know, they want to play Pitt every year. If I go east of Altoona in all the various places I go, if I go east of Altoona, actually the school they bring up more often than us, Notre Dame. <laughs> you know, it's like, really? That's, yeah. You go to Granton, they want to play Notre Dame. And then, it, like Harrisburg, your area, York, it's kind of like eh, mixed, a mixed bag as to, as to, but Pitt doesn't really come up that much. Yeah, you know, it's just my experience talking with people because I just want to listen to what they have to say without giving my opinion about it. To me, it seems like Penn State fans are more now, at least. In, can we win? The, can we beat Ohio State? Yes. Yes. Because if we can't do that, we're not going to even get to the title game and be in the national relevance. That seems like the big focus. Or good enough to do that is what fans seem to ask and be concerned about, which I get. Yeah, no, because that is now the pathway that's been created since 1993. I mean, that's right. And, right. Exactly. And if, you know, and, and and the thing that's ingrained in their minds is until we can. Okay, so 
Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, till you can win two of those three games every year, you're not going to be able to do what you ultimately want to do. I mean, if you're 35 or younger, what does this mean to you? If you're 35 or younger, I mean, they're only. Been... I don't think a whole lot. Right. I don't think much. If you're 25 and younger, I don't think it means anything. No, that's exactly right. All right, so now let's get to this year's team. Uh, in the Buffalo game, what were a couple of areas pro and con that stuck out to you, Frank? Um, no pass rush. I know they got a good offensive line, Buffalo, but I was still surprised. One sack. I, I something's not right with that. They could, you know, they couldn't get to that quarterback. So, having said that, they probably maybe still back off on really trying to get to him with blitzing and different things. Still, kind of keeping things under wrap a little bit that way. Still surprised, and I think going into this game, I'm going to be really looking at the running backs because I know it's limited carries, but you know, you don't go with four. You got to have a. I think more than that, you got to have a guy that steps up that looks like he is the number one guy. Maybe this is the week where someone gets enough carries to finally do that. And. Uh... Okay, now let's get to the the pro side of it. What have you liked about what you've seen so far? Um, with special teams, especially kicking, some of the other special teams almost haven't been relevant yet. Jordan Stout's maybe the best pickup they've they've had. I think people will not appreciate that maybe till later in the season, especially if he's called on to kick a long field goal. Right. Incredible. And, you know, there might have been years where Penn State hasn't had 16 touchbacks. I don't know, but... Um, and then I, you know, I, I like the leadership in a limited capacity for Sean Clifford. I kind of like the way he's handled himself. Sounds looks like he's having fun. Looks like it's, you know, a little nervous the first game, but not too much pressure on him. Kind of what I expected. Um, and the cornerbacks, um, I think you really want John Reed to be all the way back. He is. He looks very quick. And Tariq Castro Fields in the first half last weekend might have been my player of the game. The way that guy tackled in the open field as a cornerback, to me, is so important if he can keep that up because it's run support. It's not just cover guy. I mean, they really could have maybe two of the best cornerbacks around. Yeah, uh, it's a good point because I think, I want to say Reed was targeted in terms of going his direction nine times. He only completed two. Uh, along the way, which that that's usually a good day for a corner. You're right about the open field tackling. As for Stout, what's interesting is that uh, three years ago, Kadri Henderson was a huge influence on the game three years ago at Heinz Field at the big kickoff return. And Maurice French is an excellent kick return guy, but a guy like Stout, if he, keep, if he keeps doing what he's doing, neutralizes that. Yeah, and I, that was that is definitely can be one of Pitt's advantages in this game. And yet one that can be easily neutralized, like you said. I mean, it's no, it's clear cut. He kicks it out of the end zone, no returns. So that's, that's something that I think people forget about. And Penn State has not had a guy that I've seen ever to be able to do this every single kickoff. It, I mean, it really has been amazing so far to see that happen. Why he left Virginia Tech, that's why they got to bring him into the interview room so we could figure out what his story is, but if you're a Penn State fan, you're just glad he's here. Well, I mean, he was a walk-on there, and he ends up getting a scholarship here. Uh, right. You know, and so, if, if, 
I don't care who you are. If you have an opportunity to get a scholarship, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, even though we we're told repeatedly they're not valuable, <laughs> uh, you know, ask the parents uh, how valuable they are. Sure. Um, now, let's get in a little bit into Sean Clifford. He freely admitted the first couple of series in the opener he's a bit nervous. Since the first couple of series, what have you seen out of him? Uh, I think accurate quarterback for the most part. I mean, he was never going to be as accurate as what he showed in glimpses last year. That just was impossible. Right. Uh, five for five and should have been six for six. But overall, when he's taking every single snap, granted, you know, the opposition hasn't been Big Ten yet, but to me, he's adjusted. Um, he's looked comfortable. He's made some good decisions on running. He showed off his speed on that big run last week. Um, you know, and I think in the read option, he's going to, it's a work in progress. I think Trace made a lot of, you could look back, questionable decisions in that even last year. And I think that's the nature of the. So I think that's going to improve as he gets more reps. I like to see how his relationship with his receivers continues to develop because right. other than KJ, they're pretty much new guys in a sense. I mean, Dotson was there the second half in games last year, but Justin Shorter wasn't really any impact last year. Right. Um, you got these other guys you're breaking in. I mean, we don't know if Daniel George is going to be playing. Then you got Cam Sullivan Brown, who has only been in and out. So you got to have at least four guys, I think, as main targets. I think tight end, though, having said what I just did, tight end can be huge down the road, especially if Nick Bowers can contribute. You get two of those guys going, that to me would be, that would be huge for Sean. Right. How do you view this game? What are going to be some of the important elements in this game? Well, James Franklin says the matchup with Penn State's receivers Pitts defensive backs. Hard to argue with that because Penn State's receivers have to prove they can handle the heat at the line of scrimmage, then still make the catches. And Justin, this is a growing game for Justin Shorter. We're going to see a little bit of insight, I think, into him. Um, But again, then I go back to the running game. You've got to, at some point, you're going to have to be able to run the ball and you're going to have to find, I think, a hot hand somewhere. I, I just... I know it's great to have four talented guys, but when have you ever really seen a Penn State, which produces great running backs, when have you ever seen, I mean, really, very few times more than one is the lead guy right. in a season. So you got to figure, to me, you got to figure that out because your starter right now has five or, what, has eight carries or something in two games? Right. We don't know anything about that position like I think people want to, and maybe this is, the next couple of weeks, we figure that out. But you you have to, right? I mean, it's it's an intriguing skill set, but you got to have somebody you can count on to run the football. Hey, but any York Daily Record. We'll wrap it up in a moment on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Alexander's on the show tomorrow from Pittsburgh. Also picks tomorrow with the King. Uh, so we got plenty going on tomorrow, as a matter of fact. 
<clears throat> wonder if uh, anybody's noticed, but uh, February 15th, you saw the schedule come out, Penn State wrestling against Ohio State in the Jordan Center. There's a basketball game that day, too. It is uh, Penn State and Northwestern at noon. Then they're going to have to turn the Jordan Center around and get ready for wrestling at night. So they'll have a doubleheader in there. Uh, the Mets uh, last night had nine runs on 11 hits. On 9-11 in New York. Amazing. Today, um, they didn't need that. They got much more than that, as a matter of fact. The Mets won big today. As they uh, pounded the Arizona Diamondbacks, the final there was 10-4. to Milwaukee beat... Miami 3-2. It's going to be the Mets 1-11-1. The Yankees won 10-4 over Detroit. Pirates lead the Giants 2-0 bottom of the fourth. Cubs lead at Petco over the uh, Padres 3-0 top of the fourth. Top of the fifth, Cardinals lead Colorado 6-3. And on the south side, Kansas City in the top of the ninth leads the White Sox 5-3. And Sam Darnold ruled out indefinitely mononucleosis for the quarterback of the New York Jets. And they're not even sure Le'Veon Bell can play. Trevor Simeon will be the starting quarterback. And with that, I just want to announce and say to everybody, welcome to another season of New York Jets football. Wow. The last thing they expected... Unreal. And the uh, Jets, I think, have the Browns, right? Jets, Browns, Monday night. Must see TV. Maybe not. Well, you got the NFL tonight. You've got Carolina and Tampa Bay, and I know you've been pining all day for that. Well, you no? just wonder if Jameis Winston is going to turn this around with Arians leading the team. No. It's not good enough. I mean, it, it, it gets to a point where you got a sample size where you can actually say, not good enough. He's not good enough. Now, Tampa Bay at the moment can't get anybody better, but Jameis Winston is not a top 15 quarterback in this league. He's in that 16 to 25 range. He's not good enough. Something I always wanted. I always felt... I always felt that Marcus Mariota was better, but I don't know. It's... Well, especially when you got quality wideouts there, like you know, with Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. It's like, come on, man. Like, yeah, I know. Go. It just, yeah. I just don't think he's good enough. Sometimes you have to come to that realization. I mean, there are a lot of guys that like get all the big hype, the big hype, and then you start watching them and you realize they're not good enough. Odell Beckham Jr. is one of those guys. Like I said yesterday, it's one thing about when you look at Antonio Brown. Antonio Brown makes the spectacular play, but he can take the ordinary play and make it spectacular. I've never seen Odell Beckham Jr take an ordinary play and make it spectacular. I've seen him make spectacular plays, 
but not the ordinary play and make it into spectacular. Paul Alexander and our picks tomorrow. You're listening to News Radio 1070 WKOK Sunbury. You can hear us anywhere in the world with the Sunbury Broadcasting Corporation app.